Hi folks, I'm Alan Watt and this is Cutting Through the Matrix on the 27th of September 2011. Newcomers, look into the website cuttingthroughthematrix.com. There's hundreds of audios there for download and hopefully you'll understand much, much more of the big picture of the system that really runs the world and how the whole world's been had, you know, for an awful long time, even before the United Nations was set up when they they had the League of Nations. It was all to be done by deception, basically, and to bring in a form of global management. And that's what we have. We're in the age of global managers. You'll find that in lots of their sites at at the top there. And uh, it was done through literally, literally world wars, of course, to bring you to your knees, signing up treaties, and then you, you find this this uh, superstructure built around governments, basically, from the United Nations, managing all of our lives. And it, it really simulates uh, so much of the communist ideals, because the Royal Institute of International Affairs pushed the same ideals to control the populations under the guise of equality. And that's why the same uh, agenda goes, goes forth across the whole world into every nation. I'll be touching on some of that tonight. And um, the, the part of it, too, was to separate all uh, first the genders and uh, into their own little groups, you know, us against them, and then children against parents, vice versa, and, and on and on it goes, and all different kinds of groups, and then to manage them all by supplying the leaders, all from the United Nations and the non-governmental organizations that have so much power now because they are the land army they talked about, or the earth army a long time ago. They're the ones who would work on behalf of the big multinationals who have their foundations, charitable foundations that dish out trillions of dollars to make sure the world is run properly, on board, together, on track, along the same path. And that's where we are today. It's already happened. It's passed most people by. They haven't noticed. Remember, too, that you're the audience you can bring me to you, so you can help share my costs here, hopefully, by buying the books and discs I have for sale at cuttingthroughthematrix.com. You'll find out how to do it there. And you can um, do so by uh, from the U.S. to Canada by using a personal check or international postal money order, or you can use PayPal. Some people just send cash. It's up to you. But so you'll find out how to do it on the com site. And across the world, you've got Western Union, MoneyGram, and again, you've got PayPal to order or donate. It's up to yourselves how you want to do it. And remember, straight donations are awfully, awfully welcome as we go through this quantitative easing, as they call it. It sounds like someone with a bad case of gas. However, uh, as I say, I try and show you what's really going on in the world and not to keep you navel-gazing because uh, you, you see, all your politicians uh, are hand-picked. That's how they get in. In every country, they're hand-picked. They're all uh, politically correct. They know how to smell the wind. They know the agendas. They've heard all the terms their whole lives long as they've climbed up the corporate or the government ladder. There's no no difference between corporations and governments now. And they all work together, private partnerships and public partnerships. So that's how they do it. They all know what's expected of them, what bills have to put forward. 
and so on. And then they go back into the public or private sector. So that's how it really, really is. It's been that way for an awful long time. But they had to keep the guise of democracy up as they plunder the world for all of the resources because that's one of the key issues, owning all the resources and dishing it out, supposedly equally across the world, some more equal than others, obviously. But that's, such, that's how utopias always go. So we're in the middle of uh, massive transitions and the whole world's been shaken up. And the last few countries that don't have central banks and have usury are being bombed into submission under the guise of bringing democracy to the Arab countries. Everyone knows this who can think, who've read their history, and keep up with what's happening from the CFR's own magazine. Back with more after this break. Hi folks, we're back, cutting through the matrix, and uh, even before these wars started, the, the last series of wars, uh, plundering uh, for the resources, because that's part of the, the CFR, Royal Institute of International Affairs agenda, always has been since they called themselves the Milner Group in London, and uh, they were to go after all the world's resources, that's wealth of all kinds, even food eventually, water supplies, uh, and all the, the materials necessary for industry, etc., etc., uh, under the guise that they would be the caretakers of it. Of course, they would be profiting off it too, naturally, being the sole owners of it all. But they would distribute equally across the world. And part of it too was to just totally destroy the cultures that already existed. You see, everything apparently was all wrong. Even man and woman living together was all wrong. And uh, remember too, Bertrand Russell, who believed uh, and actually knew all these people because he worked with them in think tanks, he talked about he says, we used to think it necessary to take the child away from the parents at birth. That's, that was their agenda at one point. He says, because the parents are contaminated with their old ideas and, and family and so on. The family unit had to be destroyed. They believed with all about uh, Karl Marx's agenda, basically because their ancestors funded Karl Marx, because they created communism and they already owned capitalism. And a socialist society is easier to control through regulations, laws, etc. Train a generation that way, and they'll think it's all quite natural as you live in this new stasi, police state, basically. And that's how it is. Anyway, part of it was to destroy all existing cultures. And I mentioned when they started bombing away at the Arabs and so on, and uh, that eventually the, the refugees would flood in, they always do, and the countries that are bombing them end up taking them all in, lots of them. And that helps further accomplish the goals of the masters because they want to totally destroy uh, what's left of all cultures and bring in this new mishmash uh, where no one will stand up for anything or anybody else because of very, very little in common with each other, basically. It's very good tactics, really. But it's already been achieved, and Tony Blair's, uh, the assistant prime minister, vice prime minister uh, of Britain, when Tony Blair was in, came out and said that Tony had told them to open the floodgates to the most diverse cultures and flood Britain. The final flood. They're already doing it when Thatcher was in because there's not a difference between them. They're all the same. I don't care what anybody says. They're all the same. And remind all the show they put on for the public. But uh, uh, they, and sure enough, uh, Britain now literally is a, a mishmash of, they don't really have a culture now. And 
and uh, people try to live in their own little segments of society as they get pushed into communitarianism, another part of the plan from the United Nations, which is owned by the Royal Institute of International Affairs. So you destroy cultures by creating wars. Here's an article here just to prove it. Asylum seekers from the Arab Spring pour into Europe. And now um, this is... Um, a count covering the first three months of this year, the months that saw the outbreak of the Arab Spring showed that numbers of Tunisian asylum seekers rose more than 20-fold after their country became the first to be engulfed in a chain of uprisings. The study covered the first three months of the year, and it says, um, The influx raised fears that Britain faces a fresh asylum boom as tens of thousands of individuals and families try to flee other countries convulsed by violent upheavals. So that further puts a nail on the coffin, and it's, it's all, it all helps. Tony Blair, would, I'm sure, um, amongst his dalliances he's having right now, apparently, with, with a woman from Israel, he, he would agree with this, because that was the agenda, to totally destroy, that's what he said, totally destroy any vestige and even memory of the culture of Britain forever. And it's not just Britain that's getting hit, it's other European countries too, but Britain's been getting the brunt of it for years. The figures compiled by the EU's uh, stats arm showed that last year Tunisian asylum seekers were arriving at the rate of just 50 a month. They're now ranked eight amongst the main countries of citizenship of asylum seekers. Nine out of ten Tunisians applying for asylum in the EU lodged application in Italy, which highlights the importance of geographical proximity as one of the potential factors influencing the choice of the destination country for asylum seekers. Among other such factors of the social and economic situation, the presence of certain ethnic communities, immigration policy in the country of destination, language or historical ties, or the activities of people, traffickers, and also, of course, the, the country with the most welfare benefits. That, that's what they're mentioning here. So that's the end, really, of what's left. It's already gone, uh, these countries, a lot of these countries. But definitely Britain, that was one of the prime targets. It's interesting, too, that the guys who moved into London to control the banks uh, planned it that way. That they destroyed the very country that they were based in. And they've been awfully successful at that. Great chess players, obviously, uh, to do. But they've had centuries of, and maybe longer for studying human nature. Quite interesting. And what they're doing, too, part of the plan is to depopulate big time. I remember back in the 60s, certain doctors came out, had been at world meetings, and they were told quite a, a bit of the agenda uh, that uh, the people might as well die of cancer as, as other things. And at that time, they were already uh, sticking all the babies and, and children with uh, uh, polio vi- uh, vaccines that had live simian viruses in them. That's monkey viruses or chimpanzee. And uh, they had one of them was simian 40. The only function it had was to cause cancer. So they knew what they were doing. Depopulation is a big part of this agenda, remember. And, of course, there are very advanced treatments for everything, but you'll never see them. And I was reading about some of them that are rediscovered because the low-level university medical staff often rediscover stuff that was discovered a long, long time ago. That's why they call it research at the bottom. Uh, the searching's been done long ago at the top. And um, there's quite a few articles out how they can take out a little bit of your blood, activate the, the, the T cells, the killer cells, and they've been curing cancer patients with stage four within a week. But you'll never see it. You'll never see that for the general public because they want you to, to die off. So what they're doing now, that everybody's apparently going to get cancer, uh, is to um, tell you it's too expensive to keep you going. And, and it's just a, a build-up to euthanasia, which is in all the papers. And they, what they do is float trial balloons to see how the public accept it or, or even mutter about it or twitter about it. That's the beautiful thing about twittering and all that. They've got a pulse on the public's opinion all the time. 
and they know how far to push, how quickly to push, etc. So anyway, it is an article, the Big C Cancer Treatment is Increasingly Unaffordable, you see. And there's an article in, in, in across different countries in the world all at the same time, which means it's no coincidence. You see, it's a world agenda. Miracles are being performed, but the cost of treatment is becoming prohibitive. We must move beyond fighting over expensive drug, drugs that add only a few months to life. Uh, so one in three of the population will be diagnosed with cancer at some point in their lives. Nearly all families have been affected. It's a disease that causes much emotion and fear, yada, yada, yada. Politicians, with their never-ending quest for popularity, have ruthlessly exploited it as a battleground for catching votes. Promises are easily easy, but their delivery is fraught with difficulties, apart from the fact they're liars anyway. Much of the technology is changing so fast to become a very challenging field for clinicians at the front lines. Very profitable, too, if you can afford it. Very, very profitable. And that's why you go into these, either dentistry, law, or law, or you become an oncologist. Anyway, and patients are often left bewildered and frightened by the discrepancy between what's been offered them and what they read and can find on the internet. Anyway, in the Lancet Oncology Commission, that's Lancet's a big journal in Britain, on the cost of cancer care in high-income countries, written by a series of experts, patient advocates and economists provides a stark conclusion. So you bring economists into it, you see. Quite simply, no healthcare system can afford to pay for the huge increases involved in prolonging cancer patient lives for a few weeks. Now, it's not a few weeks. They're actually thinking of giving you the option of the pill down the road, and that's been in other articles as well. You just put it all together, and you know exactly what they're doing here. So it says we're truly at a crossroads. It's just unaffordable, you understand. Human life is, well, you are a renewable resource, and... uh, uh, and why keep you around, especially if you're not really worth much and, and you're not really a big global player, you know? Ever wonder why these old farts that you see, you know, the, 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 the Maurice Strongs, the Kissingers, the Brzezinski's, they don't come down with anything. The Rockefellers in his 90s still going across the planet talk, giving talks on depopulation. Ever wonder? Well, you see, they, they, they get this stuff from the searching, not the research. Uh, as I said, there's a whole bunch of articles on, uh, from, from, one was from, um, I think New Zealand or Australia, uh, where they could activate your T-cells and they actually were curing all kinds of leukemias. But again, it's to go back for further study. That means it's going to be repressed. And the same thing for the one in Penn State or Penn University in the States. It's the same kind of thing. They can actually do it. See, they've actually disabled your killer cells. You see, what they did too is attach a virus to activate them, your your T-cells, that search and destroy they go all over the body all the time, all your whole life long, actually, because you're developing little tumors and abnormalities all along the way from the minute you're born, and these things literally kill them off very quickly, instantly. Uh, but they've inactivated them, so they attached a virus to them and made them more aggressive. Uh, in other words, you switched them back on. And it probably was switched off by a virus being injected into you. Off and on, quite simple, just switching. That's all. Quite simple stuff, old stuff, actually. So anyway, I'll put this link up tonight at cuttingthroughmates.com. And um, it's a good article from Israel as well. It's, it's um, from the Haaretz. And it's talking about Netanyahu proved that Israel does not want peace. Quite a, a well-written article, too, how they play on the emotions of the indoctrinated uh, Israelis about all their past experiences and so on, and uh, and how they play them like a violin, basically, to, to be all on board with the government but it's quite well written, and it tells you, as I say, they have no interest at all. They want to grab more and more land. They don't want to have a, a Palestinian state. And it's as simple as that. Apart from that, they, they, they live on grants from the U.S. and elsewhere, uh, so, so they don't want that cut off either. 
Now, one of the, the Greeny magazines is actually decrying the nonsense of the carbon credits. Clean energy credits are tarnished. It's actually demolished. It always was because the whole thing's a farce. Anyway, as the world gears up for the next round of UN climate change negotiations in Durban, South Africa, it's amazing too. It always puts me in mind of Socrates who, who said that, you know, that the leaders of that day, in his own day, they weren't content enough with trying to explain uh, everything that worked in the world, but by the way, we call it physics today, but uh, their means and mechanisms of working. He said they're also trying to, to give uh, rules and regulations about getting into the spiritual world, like religions tend to do. They start making laws and, and rituals and, uh, and degrees of ascension, basically, into the spiritual world. And here's the UN actually in charge of the whole world's climate. What a farce. What a farce. Nothing changes, eh? Back with more after this break. Hi, folks. I am back, cutting through the matrix, just discussing an article about the nonsense about carbon. Uh, trading uh, from the, the lords of the air, you know, the guys, the United Nations own the whole atmosphere, apparently. It actually got well, laws of the space as well, you know, and, and um, uh, laws of the sea. They've got everything there. They're just lords, I guess. Anyway, it says, as the world gears up for the next round of United Nations climate change negotiations in Durban, South Africa in November, evidence has emerged a cornerstone of the existing global climate agreement, the international greenhouse gas emissions trading system is seriously flawed. Can you imagine t- t- trading this rubbish, this nonsense? You know? We'll all be dead hosting for greenhouse gases. Anyway, trace of long questions, the usefulness of the Clean Development Mechanism, CDM, which I actually think was Cadbury's Dairy Milk Chocolate. But anyway, which was established under the Kyoto Protocol, allows rich countries to offset some of their carbon emissions by investing in climate-friendly projects such as hydroelectric power and wind farms in developing countries. And they found out, a diplomatic cable published last month by the WikiLeaks website reveals that most of the CDM projects in India should not have been certified because they did not reduce emissions beyond those that would have been achieved without foreign investment. Indian officials have apparently known about the problem for at least two years, but they're still taking the carbon credits and trading them, like Mr. Pachuri there, eh? <laughs> What has leaked has just confirms our view in its present form. The CDM, the carbon trading mechanism, is basically a farce, says Eva Filsmoser, Moser Program Director of CDM Watch, a Brussels-based watchdog organization. The revelations imply that millions of tons of claimed reductions in greenhouse gas emissions are mere phantoms. Of course they are. Of course it's like chasing ghosts, isn't it? She says, and potentially cast doubt over the principle of carbon trading. In the face of these comments... It's no wonder that the United States has backed away from emission trading, uh, Phil's Moser says. So in a way, they're all making lots of cash off trading nothings all over the world and punishing countries, etc., for creating nothings. And, uh, and we can all use all these nothings like the king has no clothes. But that's the policy as we're going to utter insanity. Uh, and that's the agenda, folks, to train. You're just an animal, apparently, according to those at the top. And uh, you can train animals to believe anything and behave any way you want them to. And actually, they can make you believe, because look, look around you, folks. Look around you. Have a good look. Britain's hired thousands of civilians, by the way, 
uh, it's his flagship for communitarianism and the new, basically a, a civilian Stasi police state. It's, it's incredible, but it's not really, I suppose. I saw it coming years ago, and that's why I, I hopped it. Anyway, it says, um, new busybody army, hundreds more civilians get powers to find people and demand personal details. It says, thousands of civilians have been given sweeping police-style powers, allowing them to find people and demand personal details. Following a worrying expansion by a discredited labor project, more than 2,200 civilians, including street wardens, this is the sort of stuff you used to have in the war. Remember they said they'd make it a war situation after 9-11? A whole, that's refugees, everything on the go. Well, got it all. Got it all. I said that one him. And they have, they have like air raid warrants, like the street warrants now. Housing officers, traffic marshals, and stewards. They have stewards for your area. You know, these, like, this is the Soviet. The Soviet was based on this system, and that's what they've copied. Uh, they can, they can issue financial penalties for offenses such as dropping litter, dog fouling, and truancy. Uh, coalition ministers have allowed the numbers, and they're all plain clothes. You don't know who they are. You can be starting talking to them and say the wrong thing. Bang, that's you. <laughs> Allowed the numbers signed up to the Community Safety Accreditation Scheme. Community safety, that's what that is, you see. All these spies amongst you. To grow by a third over just 12 months. It says, um, uh, it, it comes despite senior liberal Democrats and, and conservatives strong, strongly condemning the scheme when in opposition. They're all liars, you see. They all condemn it and then they come in and there's only one agenda, folks. It doesn't matter what party you vote in. There's only one agenda. Only, my whole life long I've noticed that. Yeah. And Jefferson said it too. When you see one agenda carry on between changes in the House, that's different parties, then you know you're under tyranny. They've always known this kind of stuff. Just the general public are so dumb now, down now with the incredible uh, uh, entertainment and what they call education and, and injections and, and the, the, the plastic foods eat that, uh, uh, well, they don't have much of a chance now. Under it, councils and private sector firms pay a few hundred pounds for accreditation by local police force. They then pay as little as £32 for each employee they want to be accredited. Those chosen undergo a short training course and are given a uniform and a special badge, just like the TV. Eh? Oh, a special badge. They're always pushing these special badges. Like they used to push the, the crucifix towards the vampires. You know what's that? The arm is straight out and there's the badge there, just like the movies. Eh? Oh, God, children, children. Approved by the chief constable. As well as handing out fines up to £80, the accredited civilians dubbed Jackie Smith's irregulars after the former Labour Home Secretary can photograph members of the public and demand their names and addresses. It's an offence to refuse to provide such details when they ask, but they have no power to detain or arrest and must call a police officer or a PCSO. So isn't it just wonderful, this new world order? But nothing is a surprise at all to some of us anyway. And also, too, in Britain, uh, government is considering parenting classes, classes for all that, that want to have children. So it's going to be eventually, eventually all, they want to make it mandatory down the road. This is the government's announced plans to trial the use of vouchers for parenting, vouchers, yeah. vouchers for parenting classes to mothers and fathers with children under the age of five. They want, the government wants it to become normal, the new normal, you see, for parents to ask for advice and support. The government, so it says the trial of the vouchers is expected to run in three or four areas of the country and offer parents from a wide range of backgrounds by giving them access to parenting classes and continued support up until their children start school. Actually, it's for the rest of your lives, folks. Cradle to grave, the nanny state. Eh? The new Soviet. Anyway, back with more after this break. 
You're listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network. Because you can handle the truth. Hi, folks. I'm Alan Watmer, back cutting through the matrix. Just reading an article here, but see, Britain's a flagship for the whole world to emulate. Uh, notice in some articles, too, I'll touch on later, they're already pushing these things across the world now that they've ironed out all the problems. In Britain, that's there's a trial there you see in Britain, and they, they put it out across the whole planet. And it says here, ministers, which are politicians generally and bureaucrats, say they want asking for support with parenting to be seen as the normal rather than the exception. So they want it for everybody. It's hoped that the, it's really for social engineering. It's hoped that the vouchers also increase demand for parenting classes and help reduce the stigma associated with asking for information, advice, and help with parenting. They say they want to get right into the home. And see, Bertrand Russell said at one time that they thought uh, they were, their plans were to take the children from parents, all children from parents, down the road, uh, so that they wouldn't be, be contaminated with old-fashioned ideas. Then he said, well, they tried it out with kindergarten. If they indoctrinate them young enough... It doesn't matter what the parents say to them because the scientific indoctrination would override any parental input. So, so they're at it again. Here they, here they go. So the government will also work with organizations with an existing track record to test the supply and demand for universal parenting classes. Russell actually said, too, eventually we'll, we'll so train the public that, that they'll be unable to even change a baby's, they call it a diaper here, uh, they call it a nappy over there, uh, but uh, without asking for professional expert advice. It's happened in my lifetime. In my lifetime, I've seen this all happen. Anyway, the voucher scheme forms part of the government's plans to increase support for parents to help them communicate better with their children. And you have to get, learn to communicate now, you know, treat them as a little equal and all that under the United Nations Rights of the Child. Encourage good behavior and prevent problems later on, like, you know, I'm, I'm, a little, I'm really a little girl trapped in a boy's body. I'm not kidding. That was an article I saw, a three-year-old. A three-year-old, this is what all the hoopla is about. I'm really a little girl trapped in a boy, wee boy's body. <laughs> I don't believe this stuff. Anyway, Children's Minister Sarah Tether said the government should do all it can without interfering in family life to support parents to the best they possibly can. So they're right into your homes now, you see, to make sure that the child is brought up with the, the right indoctrination, the right PC attitudes on everything. And um, it says, for the first few years of a child's life can be the toughest period for parents' relationships. And these early years, it's only one parent families now. And these early years are also the most crucial for healthy child development. Parenting classes can be life-changing because they give parents the skills to manage challenging situations, give their children clear and firm boundaries, and help them learn the consequences of their actions. This strengthens families and means children are better behaved, more respectful, respectful, and can achieve more at school. Ra ra ra, etc. Rubbish, right? Especially for for them to, as I say, control them all, and that's what it's all about. Raising the right kind of stock that will do and obey all government dictates down the road, that's what it is. And uh, to make sure that the parents don't put any, you know, original thoughts in their, in their child's heads, God forbid. And, of course, I've copied it now, and, and now that the, the, we're pouring our tax money, by the way, into India as an up-and-coming emerging nation, and you can't lose. For every dollar that, that your, your government throws at it, uh, or, or you throw at it as a private investor, uh, your, your governments will all throw about 100 or 200, maybe 500 per dollar. They can't lose. That's what they did with China, and that's how they built China up too, all through your wonderful World Bank, IMF, and United Nations. 
and the World Trade Organization, all part of the same private organ. They're all private organizations, including the UN, by the way. Now, a third child can land you in jail in Kerala, in India. It says this is going to be a tough code of conduct. You can be imprisoned. A man can be imprisoned for impregnating his own wife. Worse, you can be branded as a legally disqualified person. A legally disqualified person in India. They're, they're really pushing, the, again, the, the, the lefty, communist, feminist. But this will be a reality of the Kerala Women's Code Bill 2011, uh, su- submitted to the chief minister by a 12-member committee. They always like the 12-member stuff, don't they? Like 12 stars and the European Union flag and Benjamin Franklin's 12 wise men would rule the world and all that stuff. With Justice V.R. Krishna, liar in the chair, is implemented in his letter and spirit. In a bid to redefine draconian, uh, the Commission on Rights and Welfare of Women and Children feels that nothing lesser than a fine of 10,000 rupees or three months simple imprisonment deserves to be slapped on the expectant father of a third child. The recommendation is part of the measures intended to encourage population planning for well-being and children's development. The Kerala Women's Code, Bill 2011, maintains that violation of family norms will be deemed a legal disqualification and parents will not be eligible to receive any benefits from government Obviously, they get you through that benefits thing, eh? that little blackmail. Insist that the religious and political outfits should not be allowed to discourage population planning and any such effort on their part should be censored by the governor. It reads, no person or institution shall use religion, religion, uh, sect, caste, cult, or other ulterior inducements for the bearing of more children. It says the commission was constituted following a state government order issued on August 7, 2010 to prepare a code for the rights and responsibilities of children and women, you see. Those parents who violate the norms will be regarded as legally disqualified persons. The report specifies that children will not be disentitled to any of their rights or claims or suggested to provide a cash incentive of 5,000 rupees to women who marry after the age of 19 and their first child after 20, etc., 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 it's just wonderful how bureaucracy sneaks in, and before you know it, they're just they're talking bureaucraties, and it's the same old uh, left uh, Soviet uh, communitarianism, communist, whatever you want to call it. It's all the same thing, and that's why the banks love this system because big government they can deal with big government. It's always borrowing money from the banks. That's how banks make their money is from the interest. It gives them power over the countries too, which is even more important. Wall Street donated 41 million dollars to super committee members. Wall Street has given $41 million in campaign contributions to members of Congressional Super Committee charged with finding $1.5 trillion worth of deficit reduction measures, including, including a report released today by two watchdog groups. So in other words, they're bought and paid for as another big con. The finance, insurance and real estate sector spent $3.7 billion on lobbying and campaign contributions from 1999 to 2008, according to the report. And the 12 members of the Bipartisan Joint Select Committee on Deficit Reduction have all reaped the benefits. So they're bought and paid for. But why would they miss the chance? Eh? Oh, look what they're thinking of doing. Ha, ha. And as they sip their brandy, let's, put her, let's make sure that they're our boys. It's just that simple, isn't it? Now, Tony Blair, one of the, a great example of a psychopath in action. Uh, they're all psychopaths at the top because it's, it's a kind that are selected. And it's only the kind that actually want power too, by the way. They just crave it. And they have no conscience at all. Uh, Tony Blair went into politics and he was on a good con man. He, he used to bring along a, a different colored shirt when he went to talk to the Labour guys when he went for elections. 
and he, he'd sit in his car. A journalist told me this, and uh, he'd, he'd take off his white starch shirt and his tie, and he'd put on one of these colored shirts on, roll up the sleeves, and walk in. He's ready for business. He's, he's ready to get down to work, you see. Just a natural psychopath. They know, they observe everyone, and they know what to do. They don't, they don't feel anything for you, but uh, they're awfully good actors. And he's, he's reaped lots of cash uh, since leaving office because he did what these masters told him to do, get war started. We've got to go to the Middle East and one-man army for the wars. And um, he's been well rewarded now. He's just, now he's after the big, big cash. It says here, um, Blair's unusually close relation with the 51-year-old Ofra Strauss, who's divorced from her second husband last year, has led to speculations in the Israeli press that they're having an affair. Ofra's head of a £1.3 billion pounds foods company whose high prices triggered the biggest social protest in, in uh, Israeli regime's history. Blair pays frequent visits to the occupied lands as their representative. He's a, he's a representative. You see, they never get rid of them. The parallel government, Thatcher, talks about them. They all know everybody else, and they never retire them. They keep them going, behind the scenes, and they get things done especially filling their own pockets like Tony. But anyway, as a representative of the Middle East so-called quartet, and Tony's ideal for that because he's been on the fiddle all his whole life, consisting of the United Nations, the United States, the European Union, and Russia to coordinate international talks on the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. But as unusual meetings with the lady prompted a columnist from Mariv, a Hebrew newspaper, to write an open letter to Blair's wife, Cherry, earlier this year, warning her to watch for her husband more seriously. For the information of Mr. Mrs. Blair, article began very, very quietly this weekend. The official car allocated to Tony Blair by the quartet glided through the gates of Ofra's house, which is protected by tight security measures. All kinds of bad people have called me trying to suggest his visit had the character of a sexy conspiracy. So I'm handing the matter over to you to handle personally. Ofra Strauss is the chairman and former chief executive of the Strauss Group, a food conglomerate she inherited from her father, Michael, which makes dairy products, snacks, and confectionery. So anyway, Tony is still climbing the ladder there by all means possible, and uh, we'll see where that goes. Uh, he has no conscience whatsoever. In fact, in all his interviews, he said that, would, would you change anything that you've ever done? He said, no, no. No, no hesitation, because it's, it's a pure psychopath. Perfect example. Yep. And also, an article, too, I'll put up tonight, too. It's from uh, Brzezinski, I think it is. And it's, um, it was an article that was put out in the Far East, actually, in a talk he gave. It says, let me begin with three broad assertions, then briefly elaborate on each of them and conclude by making a modest proposal. First, global peace is threatened not by utopian fanaticism, as with the cause during the 20th century, but by the turbulent complexity inherent in the volatile phenomenon of global political awakening. Now, you've got to understand this. They're not talking about everybody, the general public, waking up to, to politics. These guys use terms, but they have a different meaning. What they're talking about is all the social organizations and the NGOs that are funded by the big foundations that people like Brzezinski belong to. It's the second comprehensive and enduring social progress is much more attainable by democratic participation than by authoritarian mobilization. Third, in our time, global stability can be promoted only by larger-scale cooperation and not through imperial domination. Or, or we'll bomb the hell out of you. <laughs> anyway, the 20th century was dominated by fanatical ideological efforts to create societies by brutal totalitarian methods on the basis of utopian blueprints. 20th century Europe 
knows best the human cost of such simplistic and arrogant idealistic fanaticism. Fortunately today, with the exception of some highly isolated cases such as North Korea, it's unlikely that a new attempt at large-scale utopian social engineering could arise. Well, liar, eh? Because he already knows that they're already doing it under communitarianism and, and hiring thousands of civilian spies and, and training your children from birth, etc. Oh, well, liar, eh? But anyway, this is for public consumption, you understand. So the opposite of the lie. It says, this is largely so because in the 21st century, for the first time in human history, the entire world is now politically awakened, really. The peoples of the world are restless. They are interconnected. They are, he means to say they're interdependent. They're resentful of their relative social deprivations and increasingly reject authoritarian political mobilization. It follows that democratic participation is in the longer run the best guarantee both of social progress and political stability. Now, in the Soviet system, you had to be involved in politics. You had to vote as well. That's the law in Australia and some other countries. You have to vote or define you. And that was a whole idea written at the beginning of the 20th century, and even before that by the far left and the Fabians, when they talked about the, they get everyone who would vote. You see, it's a legality when you vote. You're giving people power to do anything they want with, with you. Do you understand? Legality. It's a very legal, these guys at the top. In the global arena, however, the combination of rising populist aspirations, that's their color revolutions and, and all their, their, their hand-picked NGO leaders, and the inherent difficulties of shaping common global responses to political and economic crises, poses the danger of international disorder, to which neither Germany alone, nor Russia alone, nor Turkey alone, nor China, nor America alone can provide an effective response. Indeed, potential global turmoil coincidental with appearance of novel threats to universal well-being and even to human survival, can be effectively addressed only within a larger corporate framework based on more widely shared democratic values. He's talking about a world government, folks. That's what all your financial crisis is all about. This, this fake, you know, as they, they plunder the planet and bring down country after country, get you to throw billions and trillions thereafter now into the black hole of the bankers, you know, all disappears into money heaven, to, to make you so scared and just accept global governance. That's what it's all about, to understand that. So no country can go alone, oh no. Yeah. So the basic fact is that interdependence is not a slogan, but a description of an increasingly imperative reality. America realizes that it needs Europe as a global ally, that its cooperation with Russia is of mutual and expanding benefit, and that its economic and financial interdependence with rapidly rising China has a special political sensitivity, that its ties with Japan are important only mutually, but to the well-being of the Pacific region. Germany is committed to a more united Europe within the EU and to close links across the Atlantic with America, and that in that context it can safely nurture mutually beneficial economic and political cooperation with Russia. And it goes on and on about Turkey and other countries, etc., etc. So it's just pushing the same inter... See, we're, they've already done it, folks. They've already done it. All your politicians have been getting this stuff you know, for years and years and years, interdependence, inter- 30, 40 years of this stuff. You can't rise in politics unless you're on board with it all. Can't happen. Cannot happen. So it says the EU would not exist today if it were not for the deliberate effort made by France and Germany. But everybody's cursing them now, eh? The EU, look at them. <laughs> Every country's bankrupt. Again, throwing money into a black hole. Not only does it on the official level, but especially between their peoples, to foster a genuine and deeply rooted national recognition, reconciliation. The EU could not have embraced Central Europe Who's embracing it? Folk want to crush it. You know, a very tight embrace indeed, like a wrestler. 
What a farce. But anyway, that's the public. This is, this is the, the pablum you're going to hear from now on for the rest of your lives as they get more and more Orwellian. And it's all marketing, slogans and everything. That's what Lenin said too. She'll win by slogans. That's what they all use in all their speeches, the same slogans. Like the whole world's on board, eh? <laughs> anyway, this wonderful thing about Turkey rising and they're all rising, they're all happy. Turkey voices a readiness for Israeli war. It says in an interview with Charlie Rose, if you, if for anything, if you imagine, this is supposed to be reality and they're bringing you on with comedians, eh? And you're all used to it, thinking, well, yeah, it's all real. And, you know, when, and, and, uh, when Erdogan was asked if he saw the Israeli attack on the Gaza bound flotilla that killed nine Turkish nationals as a cause for war, as the Premier heard earlier said, Erdogan said, we will do that too if it becomes necessary. Turkey's Vatan newspaper reported Thursday. As you know, Israel attacked three ships, one of which carried over 400 people from 33 countries and international waters from sea and air. Such an attack in international waters is against international law, Erdogan noted. Well, it wasn't for the liberty too, but they sunk, well, they almost sunk that. The Turkish premier reiterated that Israel should apologize to Turkey for the attack and pay compensation to the families of the victims. As about earlier remarked that Israel is a spoiled child, Erdogan said Israel is the West's spoiled child. I still say the same thing. So uh, there you go. That's how things really are in the world. And um, by the way, the EU, and this was all worked out uh, in the 1800s, actually. Uh, this, 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 again, you, Karl Marx talked about a united Europe. They'd have to create a united trading block, he said, of, of Europe. And a united America's trading block, free trade. Uh, and it also a, a Pacific Rim regional integrated group under one government as well. And the, th- and the three main governments would be under a super world government. Well, now the EU plans to impose its own criminal offences and punishments. So it's a little trading group. Oh, it's just, it's just free trade, you know. That's what they told people for years. It's now t- taking over all the responsibilities of all the national governments. And uh, that's why the, all, all the national government guys are trying to get into the EU parliament where they get big bucks and even better booze, you know, and broads as well. Back with more after this break. Hi folks, I'm Alan Watt. We're back cutting through the matrix and, and just finishing off with a couple of articles. And one of them's about the EU, as I'm saying, that they want to have their own criminal offence and punishment department. In other words, they want to be the big, the big, uh, the, the big cheese at the top there as they do away with all national governments and the, the, the jobs of national governments. They've already done it with the, taking over the fisheries, the farmers, all the stuff, all the dictates come from the, from the EU parliament, the super Soviet there. They won't even tell you who the guys at the top are. It's, it's, they're secret, apparently. It's all secret, this democratic system that, you know, Brzezinski was prattling on about there. So anyway, this article goes on to say that uh, it's writing a proposal because this minister at the top of the EU is demanding the right to impose European-wide criminal offences and set minimum sentences. She's citing a 2005 ruling from the European Court of Justice along with the Lisbon Treaty to back up her right to implement of the policy. 
The court declared the EU could impose its own criminal offences, where it's essential in order to facilitate the enforcement of EU law. But what is counted as EU law is about to massively expand. Well, all, everything expands. Any law they put in the book is for a, it's a con. You understand, we're the sheep, and you've got to get the sheep into a pen. And the way you do it is to gradually, you know, you know put a post in once in a blue moon, and, to, and then you don't know, you're fenced in one day under this new big, new Soviet. Uh, same with the Far East group of countries, and the same, of course, with America. It's happening all the time. They keep putting stakes in and, you know, what's that guy doing? I think he's putting wire along the edges of it, you know. Oh, no, he's got a home, you know, it's okay. So, and before you know it, you're, you're penned in. That's how you handle the public, and that's how you're treated, you see. That's how you're treated. Now, Greece is a good example of what's to come, because, as I mentioned before, energy will be a, a form of taxation on you. That will be the new unit of currency, one down the road. The Greece Prime Minister seeks signs of support. It says Greece would fulfill its obligations and hope to be without a primary deficit from 2012. Conditions have changed due to the recession. He says recession, but utter depression. And he says uh, the conference Tuesday evening with German Chancellor Angela Merkel, where Germany wanted a strong Greece, etc. So let's get the PR out of the way first. Eh? Anyway, it says um, what they're going to do is, is uh, bring forth a controversial new property tax. Listen, world, listen, world, you know, a new property tax bill first announced earlier this month that aims to boost revenues, taxes. Uh, all 154 of the ruling socialist PASOK's party deputies voted in favour of the measure, winning a majority of the 300-seat parliament. The move will prove controversial amongst Greeks, with the extra tax to be paid through electricity bills. Isn't that amazing, eh? With the smart meters and all. Pay your bills and property taxes through your electricity bill to make it easier for the state to collect. What's public-private again? Because obviously the, the company that does the electricity, will, I'm sure, will be private. Anyone who does not pay the new tax, the tax risks having their power cut off. Imagine that. Maybe the next step, you don't pay your electricity bill, they'll take your home. Eh? Or, well, they'll fight with the government to get your home because they're all fighting over what you have, what little, what little you have left. Eh? Aaron and Mr. Papandreou said German funding would not be an investment in past failures but in future successes. These are all slogans, right off marketing uh, professionals. He also hailed Greek, Greeks, uh, Greece's superhuman efforts to cut its deficit and debt levels. Papandreou has been in Germany with, uh, for talks with German Chancellor Merkel to discuss the country's progress. Papandreou said the current debt crisis provided a, a unique... Oh, here they go again, like the Council on Foreign Relations. Every disaster is a unique opportunity to launch important reforms that Greece badly needs to become competitive again. <laughs> oh, dear. Maybe they'll throw the javelin a bit further this time. Anyway, that's really how the world is, folks. Remember, too, as I said, I don't bring on advertisers as guests and sell you stuff after terrifying you, so maybe you can support me. So help uh, buy the books and... and Donate as well. So you'll see how to do it on cuttingthroughnates.com. From Hamish, myself, from Ontario, Canada. I think it's still Canada. Yeah, it is. Good night. I mean, your God or your gods go with you. <laughs>